to most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Bria, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Rocky and Megan. This month, we'll be talking about the Star Wars Invasion comic by Tom Taylor, Colin Wilson, Wes Dizioba, and Michael Heisler, in which a brand new Star Wars family gets in a lot of trouble during the Yuuzhan Vong War. And yeah, the Skywalkers are there too, because of course they are! So grab your bell up, tune in, and enjoy the show. And hey guys, how are we doing in 2020? Oh, <laughs> hey, Bria. We're uh, hanging in there. Uh, some of us feel like we might be missing a couple years. How is it 2020 already? I don't know, but I'm 30 now, so I, I'm assuming it has to be 2020. But neither one of those numbers feel real to me. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm turning 30 this year, and I'm actually just a teenager still. Don't tell anyone. Wait a second, am I the oldest person on this podcast? Interesting. Did by, you not by, know that? By <laughs> under a year, it sounds like. I assume I'm always the youngest, but that's just bad remnants of school that still haven't gone away. <laughs> huh. I was always the youngest kid in my class, always. Well, that makes sense. Because you have a late birthday, and I have a very early one. So Late birthday, got out of fourth grade and went straight to fifth, yeah. Trust me, I was the youngest. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <sighs> so, shall we talk about the comic book? Yes. We shall. Alright, so, the spoiler warning is dead. Welcome to the spoiler warning. We no longer have the spoiler bat. Thankfully for Rocky. Uh, so just expect us to talk about everything that's relevant in the expanded universe. That includes going through today's comics pretty thoroughly. So if you haven't read them yet, go read the comics and then come back to us. Uh, or don't read the comics. That's fine. We're not the boss of you, but this is our second to last episode, so... <laughs> so if you're gonna participate, do it now! Yeah! <laughs> Better late than never! ...to read than novels are. This is true. Alright, so, it was kind of interesting when I was doing the show notes, because we're very much set up for novels and not for comics. So when I was having to edit all of the, the usual things, and I'm like, that doesn't apply... I can't say that like that. Um, so we have a long list of people who worked on this book this time. Um, it is a comic series called Invasion. It was written by Tom Taylor, who I'm pretty sure it's the same Tom Taylor who worked on the Age of Resistance comics for Marvel last year. Um, pencils are by Colin Wilson. Colors by Wes Dezioba. I think you pronounce it like that. Letter, lettering by Michael Heisler and Joe Chen did the covers for volume one and two, and Chris Scalf did it for volume three. Uh, why are we, well, let me start with, we can't do a dramatic book summary because there's not really anything to dramatically read, um, oh, tragically. That's sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess maybe if we had the trade paperbacks, there was probably something on the back of those I could have read, but... We all read them digitally on Comixology, so just pretend. <laughs> the cover uh, of, I believe it's the third one, almost counts as a dramatic summer, a dramatic back of the book itself, where you get Kay staring into the face, into the snarling Yusan Vong face. Huh. I don't think I remember the covers because I think I read them. Megan, I think you went through them first because I so because I had to keep going backwards because it would pick up on like this the last page, so I never really saw the covers. 
Oh, really? So weirdly, okay, so the reason I know that cover is because I was checking them off on Goodreads and it would show the, the covers of the trade paperbacks. But also, I thought you were reading them first because I would come in on page like 19 of 25 when I clicked into them. No. Rocky, were you on the same account? Yeah. I think I was, yes. I assume so. Huh. It seemed okay. like the inside cover for each issue had like a quick summary of this is how we got into this mess this time. Oh yeah, but, like, comics. Yeah, thank I'll... you for that, by the way. <laughs> Star Wars comics usually have those, but there's too many of those to read. I'm not reading 30 of them. <laughs> yeah. Also, they were, I think they were a little bit more designed for people like me who are very bad at reading comics and figuring out all the pieces moving. So thank you. <laughs> Uh, just a quick note as to why we're talking about Invasion. I think it's pretty obvious, but it's a comic book that is set in the early days of the New Jedi Order. So we figured, even though none of us had read it before, that it was appropriate to read here. Uh, there are three story arcs that are part of it. Refugees, Rescues, and Revelations. And they were published in 2009, 2010, and 2011, respectively. Which means they this came out a heck of a lot after the main New Jedi Order did. Yeah, I did not realize that. I had read the first couple as they came out. So this, we all have very different experiences with this, I think, but none of us had finished the whole thing, right? No. And I I have a vague memory because I was working at a comic book store in 2009, well, basically during these years. And I kind of remember seeing them go through and just being like, I don't know what this is and thinking I would catch up on it some other time, but then I never did until now. Huh. I got a couple issues, and then, I mean, there was a lot going on in my life at this time. Like, I was in college, I was working, but also, I really was, like, I was still, there's been no time when I'm not interested in the New Jedi Order. So, I was uh, surprised to hear when they came out, because I had thought it had been much earlier, and that one of the reasons I hadn't gotten them was because it had been when I was going into college, but in fact, it was when I was going out. Yeah. Yes. Yes, because, yeah, 2009, I was very much in college and up to my eyeballs in work. And I did manage to read Refugees. I read it as a trade paperback, one of the many books that disappeared in my post-college moves here and there across the country. And then I never, I don't know if I never found or never looked for the rest of it. I think the other factor there is that they're they're not super compelling, right? <laughs> Did you guys find them? Hold on, wait, wait. I want to pause and appreciate something. That before we started this recording, you said, let's talk about the comics first, and then we'll talk about our opinions. And you just dived in with an opinion. I (laughs) thought we should hold our opinions until we started recording, which we Uh have now done. Okay, good, good. I was like, wait a minute, Megan. (laughs) Hold on. I a little bit regret trying to steer the ship at all. Look, we don't ever do Vongcast without plenty of personal editorializing. It's part of the show. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know. I'm just saying. And it's also, to be fair, my show notes are not exactly a work of art this time. They're kind of rubbish. Gold star, I tried. Um. Look, my my notes from when I was reading these started out with, don't bay the Wookiee and only get better from there. So. <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess just do a quick overview of the three. I, I tried to like make notes as I was going along, 
Um, but if anyone's listening, I have a feeling we're gonna have a lot of people who listen to this who have not read the comics. Do we yeah. think that's? Yeah. I think so. A good like uh, the plot summaries you have here are are good for that. I think. Okay. Do we want to go book by book or just talk about it all at once? I think it's a little easier to summarize all at once. Okay. Um, then I guess I can not so dramatically read my really bad summaries. Or, no, I don't know. I think, yeah, let's go over those summaries and we, you can editorialize them a little bit if you'd like. Yeah. But I okay. agree that probably a lot of people are not going to have gone and looked for these. Yeah, we're winging it, guys. No, wait, we know one person did. Odie got the Odie got the comics. I saw that today on Twitter. <laughs> so thank yes, you, Odie. Yes, true. As we always, appreciate we appreciate you. Odie. Yeah. Yes. I'm not All saying right. we have a favorite listener, but... It's Odie. <laughs> I'll say Porky it. pictures do help with <laughs> a lot, so... Plus, he did meet up with two-thirds of the Vaughn cast the other week, so... True, and, well, yeah, when, yup. Yeah, we did joke that he should try to get a hold of you, Megan, and get the Vonkast trifecta on his drive. He did, yes. actually, he tried to get a hold of me, but it was New Year's Day, and I had plans, and it didn't work out. I didn't know he was collecting us, like, cards. Nice. I don't think he meant to. <laughs> For a minute, I thought you said collecting us, like, cards, and I was about to say, yes, yes, of course. Wait. <laughs> We are all cars in our hearts. Except I would that love right. to do that meetup yes, one day. Just that was not the day. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So I'm just gonna do my quick random summaries. Uh, it's darts. It settles on a sorry. It's a. It focuses. There we go. I can use English. Focuses on a family, the Galfridians, and it starts with their home planet Artorius being invaded by the Yuuzhan Vong. Luke Skywalker comes in, and his dad's like, and not his dad, but like. Finn's dad's like, yo, save my son, who's the prince? And he takes him off to go to become a Jedi, because that's a thing that happens. Um, and then Nina, the mom, and Kay, the daughter, are captured by the Yuuzhan Vong. Kay keeps fighting back, and she is a badass. Yes. Meanwhile, Finn goes to train to be a Jedi, fights the Vong on some planet, and then goes with the Solos on the Falcon, because apparently that's what happens. Um... The second trade, and it felt weird because these did not feel like distinct arcs. They felt like they all went together. But anyways, um, second arc has Finn, Jason, and Jaina going on a mission back to Artorias to try and save Finn's dad, even though it looks like, no, don't go, and doing his best everyone impression. Kay keeps being a badass and, like, pushing ahead with her army. She's like, I'm going to win this fight. Fight me. Uh... Finn can apparently sense the Yuuzhan Vong, and he goes to find Dre, who's this Jedi from Holocron, who he maybe saw before, and who had a vision of the future, including a dangerous weapon. Um, and then the third one includes the delightful exchange of, is Forks Phala worth saving? Meh, not really. <laughs> um, but Arturian refugees are taken in by an Imperial planet, but not really. It turns out their mom is a shamed one, and... Finn and Dre go to save Phala from an assassination for some reason. Uh, a New Republic admiral puts out a call to people to be like, hey, help us fight back against the Yuuzhan Vong. And it ends with the formation of the Outer Rim Alliance. And that's literally how it ends. So if we look at this as Finn's adventure with 
the canon characters because Finn to me felt very much like an outsider joining in the rest of the series. Uh, yeah. Kay and Nina kind of had their own story, so they felt less that way. But Finn's story is sort of in the first the first um, trade. You get cameos from Luke and Leia and Han, and I think some of the best like emotional work in this comic came from Anakin and Han's recent estrangement, which pretty much repeated what they said in the books, but still, it was kind of a quiet moment. And then the second trade is more more kind of unique as, as Finn goes to Nar Shada. and then in Revelations in the third one, we're back to how can we fit Finn into the story people already know, which is why he rescues Borsk Felaya, who also has a great line in that one about an assassination attempt is sadly not uncommon, despite me being universally loved. <laughs> That's beautiful. Failia's snark gets so many prizes. <laughs> but I am sort of getting ahead of myself there, because that's in the third one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we were, I was trying to figure out the timeline, and my best guess is that it's, at, it's clearly after Vector Prime, but it t- I think it takes place before Agents of Chaos. And I want to say that it takes place between Vector Prime and the Stackpole books. But I'm not sure. I don't so know if you I guys actually, heard. I Wikipedia'd this because I kind of needed a refresher on what I was getting into. And it says that refugees and rescues were between Vector Prime and Onslaught. And then... Wow, I just blanked. And then Revelations is between Onslaught and Ruin. Oh, okay. So That's I'm the official Wikipedia word, so who knows? <laughs> that lines up with my guess, pretty much. So yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. Huh. That's good to know. So the key there is that Chewie is dead, Han has left to go have his own adventures, and Luke's Academy is still standing. There's a shot later in the series about the bombardment of the Academy, which made my heart hurt. But for now, they're fine. And that leads to the character relationships in this, which I think I agree with the notes here. Bria, you had noted that Luke and Kip's dynamic seems off. I was so surprised to see Kip because he usually takes up so much space in any scenes he's in. And in this one, he's kind of in the background a couple of times, just hanging out. I feel like he never really talked. Which is very not Kip. <laughs> exactly. I'm wondering, like, was he sick that day or something? And just kind of got dragged out of bed to show up and vaguely attempt to do stuff. But <laughs> he I must don't know. Have, That's my theory. He I'm must have been because then Luke, like, entrusts the whole academy to him very briefly. Is like, watch <laughs> things while I'm gone. And I don't think he would have done that with, like, a non, like, flu delusions Kip. <laughs> Yeah, I think Luke kind of assumed, well, Kip is sick enough that he can't possibly cause all of that much trouble. I think the only reason I knew it was him is because of the outfit they drew him in, which I think is the outfit they use in one of those essential character guides at one yes. point. Yes, oh my gosh. yes. And the- I, know, I know I've had a couple of those essentials characters guides, and that was a big part of how I sorted out a lot of New Jedi Order chronology and a lot of like Bantam era chronology when I was reading Bantam way out of order. It's the hair, too, because he has that, like, unkept but also artfully long hair. I was like, oh, I think that's Kip. I assumed it was 
like Kip would describe it as deliberately messy or something else very pretentious and fancy sounding. Can I take yeah. my take a moment to talk about all of my many, many fashion feelings about this? I was just about to go there and talk about the fashion and if we had thoughts on the art style in these books, which was we very uh, uh, that era Dark Horse. Yes, I mean, it's a big improvement on, like, Dark Empire, which has some really interesting art choices, but eh. Fashion away, Megan. So I was so excited to see the way that things were portrayed in this, not necessarily because I have any great background in understanding of fashion, which I don't, but because there are the illustrations from the book to compare to and those essential guides and kind of what my own images of things had been. The art style, I don't think does a lot of the fashion any favors, but so my favorite thing about this was the the way the solo kids dress. So Jason is almost exactly wearing either a a Han jacket or the jacket from the sequel trilogy, like Poe's jacket. Um, Anakin is wearing Jedi robes at almost all times, which I like because it's like, he's the purest force one. Like he's the one most like Luke. He's the like kind of most pure Jedi one. Jaina is wearing Jedi robes in shades of green, mostly. Um, In the first couple issues, she has these green, like, crisscross robes, which she also has no sleeves because she's a woman, so she can't have sleeves. And um, I like the color. No, yes. (laughs) I think it might sometimes be a fashion rule, just from what little I do know about, like, fashion and comics. I don't know. There's... Oh, boy. There's also, though, a couple issues later, she is wearing an incredible outfit that appears to be a, like, early 2010s slouch fashion with, like, a very baggy sweater and very baggy pants. And she looks very much like a teen who just didn't really want to get dressed that day and or who's trying to make an intentional statement about baggy sweaters. And I love that. Um, It goes well with Kay's. Oddly Earth-like outfit. Yes. 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 Like, what is that? I don't know, but I'm calling the fashion place. <laughs> I think it's, it felt very early 2000s to me. Yes. Yes. I'm positive that those are the sorts of outfits that when I was in, like, earliest middle school, the girls would try to wear to school dances and get in tons of trouble for. Yes, exactly. Yes. Because there's no, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The problem with that I had with Kay's outfit is that the coloring was such that it looked so flat black. Like it was just uh, like a chunk had cut out of been cut out of the page to me. Like that was weird. Also, um Nina's outfits were like from a different era entirely. She was had kind of the because she's queenly, so it's very lacy and loose and like looks like a very fantasy. I'm sure there are technical terms for like the lacy things a queen wears, and I don't know them. But I actually, I like your turn. Yeah, yeah, fancy lacy robes of some sort. I actually really liked how Finn and Kay seem like just such normal teenagers, complete with what's probably normal teenage fashion on Artorias. And then their mom is actually looking like a queen, and these kids are looking like they just rolled out of bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. kind of yes. like it. My teenage self appreciated that. There's also a while where Kay is wearing, like, a New Republic uh, soldier uniform, which is kind of cool. There is, there's some okay Luke fashion in this, but this is where I want to transition to the art style, which is that it's a lot of really 
kind of scrubby, dark black lines. Less so than um, in Dark Empire, absolutely. But it was a little too crunchy for my taste. And there were times where, like, lines were just missing and the colorist had clearly come in. And, like, the colorist knew, like, here's, here's the place where the character's neck ends and her shirt begins. But the artist hadn't actually, or the penciler hadn't actually done that. There's some strange gaps. I was not, I didn't love the way the art style was like both oddly lacking in detail and sometimes so covered in detail that you couldn't tell what was going on. It felt so very, very dark horse for that time at frame. Um, been reading comics probably since like 2006-ish, I guess. Uh, I started reading them because the X-Men movies were cool. But yeah, that's it's so very indicative of the era. Like you look at this, if you look at the X-Wing comics, you see a very similar like style going on. And I didn't dislike it back then. Like I was fine with it. But I feel like when you compare what we're seeing in the Marvel comics right now, it's it feels like a time capsule. <laughs> I mean, you could probably say that about most of the new Jedi Order. It does feel like very time capsule. Not always a bad thing. Yeah, I don't think in the same way, though. Uh, but I think yeah. that's also but that's also a statement upon the comic book industry as a whole. Um, obviously, every single artist has their own style. And you'll see, like, there's a very big difference between, say, Phil Noto and... Um, I'm just blanking on artist names. Um, basically, you see, you see a lot of the differences, but... I don't know. So the other thing that struck me about this comic was that they introduced the the Yusan Vong armor. Like looks okay. The Yusan Vong themselves look you know very similar to what they did on the books. The shapers don't look anything like they did on the book covers, and they don't have tendrils. They don't have like headdresses. So and the only basically the way you can tell that they're shapers is that they're women and all the warriors are male. So yes. I did not enjoy that. Yes, I, have I very weird... much noticed that the shapers looked like they were dressed more like Queen Nina. And I... <laughs> and I'm just like, wait a minute, what? Wait, this feels like a very the fantasy trope of the guys are all the warriors and the women are all the mages. Huh. I don't know why, but, like, especially with the, the female Yuzen Vong, I'm like, they felt very, this is going to sound so weird, smooth? Yes! Huh. Like, not covered in weird modifications, tattoos, scars. Yeah, I just felt like if I, like, touched their face, it would just, like, it would be like touching a metal wall. In comparison huh. to, say, the cover art from Edge of Victory with Nenyim, where she has, like, extensive facial tattoos. Yeah, and where you felt like if you touched them, they would be, there would be texture. It would not would feel be. like human skin. Like, yeah. It just wouldn't feel human somehow. Yeah. I don't know what I'm expecting, but there you I go. don't know either. I'm not sure I want to go down that particular mindset a little any further. No. <laughs> I do not need to experience the touch of a Yuzen Vong. But <laughs> you don't want to experience the texture? I do not want to experience the texture of a Yuzen Vong. Um, <laughs> I'm just so disappointed that they don't have headdresses. Yeah. Actually, it took me a while to figure out what exactly they were saying, what the whole deal with Nina was, because I just couldn't wrap my head around her 
actual face being that of a Yuzhen Vong. Because again, it felt so smooth. It was very white. Mm-hmm. It seemed like yep. she was a very humanized sort of Yuzhen Vong, especially when we've been hearing throughout all of the books that shamed ones frequently have like visible signs of modifications that didn't go very well yeah. and are often kind of scary looking. And instead, she's pretty normal looking. So I had actually missed the implication that she was a shamed one. Is that st- is that said or is that just sort yes. of implied? Like until oh, she okay. said that, I assumed that for some reason she had deliberately left or something. Mm-hmm. And then I went, wait, what? As if I wasn't having enough. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. interesting concept. I'm not sure if I'm not sure I buy the timeline. But it was an interesting concept. Yeah. They also didn't really explore the, I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't enough time for the fallout of that revelation. There were a couple really quick conversations, and that was about it. Revelation. (laughs) Third one's revelation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. At the the end of revelations, my, like, immediately I went, okay, and the next one, wait. Because it really felt like the story was very unfinished, and I had more questions than answers by the end. See, that's why, like, I found how they did this book so bizarre because it didn't feel like there were set arcs. Do you know what I mean? Even though when I looked at the publishing schedule, there were months and months between the last issue of Refugees and the first issue of Rescues, and same for Rescues and Revelations. It felt like it was supposed to all be part of one ongoing story. I felt that the different locations were a good way to differentiate the arcs, but I also read, I think, a lot fewer comics than you do, so that may not be how arcs are supposed to work. Yeah, I do not tend to read comics, so... (laughs) So I was just not really clear on whether this was just, like, a series where... And we'll finish this later and nothing came of it. Or if that was deliberate and normal. Eh. I I don't know. I my best guess is that they is that when they wrote that last issue issue of Revelations that they thought they were gonna get to do another arc and then they didn't. Yeah. Which given the mm-hmm. timing, um since Revelations came out in 2011, they would have probably been if I remember the the Wikipedia art article right, the fourth trade probably would have started in summer of 2012. Oh, and which is after the Disney purchase. Well, it's right before. Because yeah. the Disney purchase was October, October, late October, early November of 2012. And I don't know how long that plan was in place before it was announced. So, exactly. interesting. I feel like they would have... Someone probably would have been like, no, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. Because I think we knew, I know some people knew at Celebration that year. Or they've said Mm. they knew. Hmm. So, yeah. That's my guess. I can definitely see this as having, maybe if there was a book four that was meant to go into more of, I'm skipping ahead a little bit now, but more into kind of Finn's journey into whether he's going to be on the light side or the dark side and Kay and Nina's like relationship. And then maybe this um, outer rim alliance thing was supposed to happen like at the end of book four instead of the end of book three. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, I don't know if you guys felt this way too, but like for me, I liked Kay's story a lot better. Like that felt like it was actually doing something new. Whereas when we were with Finn, I was more interested in the characters that we knew who were surrounding him than anything else. Because I was like, oh, cool. We're seeing Jaina and Jason and Anakin and Loey all together. This is awesome. But I never actually cared about Finn. Yeah. I kept forgetting that they were dragging around this random kid with them. Because <laughs> I mean, Kay was I actually agree. a much more interesting character and was, like, actually felt like she was doing something instead of just making silly decisions and having a cute droid pet. Prowl was awesome. I liked that. Yes. Can I have one of those? No. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you can build it, Rocky. Challenge accepted. Oh no, what have I done? <laughs> uh, did you guys like getting to see the, the solo kids in Loewy though? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. I really liked that one Leia line from the first the first story arc. Where she goes, and if anyone offers you a deep, Anakin, you're too young. Lobaka, it wouldn't affect you. Jaina, you wouldn't like it. And Jason, you're not allowed. <laughs> like, anything, I was saying that's a drug. Anything my brain imagines is probably not actually as interesting as what it really is. <laughs> I just like that she just, that, that's how Leia approaches it. Every single person, here's the reason why. Also, Jason, just no. No. <laughs> You specifically cannot do this. These are the kind of warnings you have to give when you go to Narshada. I yeah, guess. there were also a lot of warnings about involuntary organ donation, weren't there? <sighs> or something like that. I feel like there were some warnings about you can get yourself into some fairly serious trouble and wake up missing a kidney, or am I thinking of another <laughs> book? I actually I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember that Neither. in this part, but Narshada is definitely that kind of place. Yes, yes it is. Very much. Um, try to think. Is there anything else about the solo kids or the solos you wanted to talk about? Or actually, Megan, I think you said this before. Um, talking about the emotional stuff with Leia and Han and everything. Did you want to talk a little more about that? So the first thing I think of when I think of the solo kids in this one is there are some great like images in this one the image of Jaina and Finn training at the Jedi Academy I love because it shows some of the ruins behind the the main temple so the stuff with Leia and Anakin please remind me is the moment where um Han appears and then Leia talks to Anakin about Han's grief is that in the first issue or the or the first arc or the second one because I have it written down as part of my my second arc notes but also I forgot I was writing arc notes so they might have been split in the wrong place I think it's in the first one but it might have been the second because I feel like they were in Narshada for both the end of the first and the start of the second okay which is part of why I said like the location thing felt weird yeah yeah Mm. So Han appears briefly, does not speak to Anakin, and Leia is in fact kind of consoling Anakin on, like, not only do you need to give him some space, I think it's healthier for you to maybe not see him right now, and I think it fit well into the books. There were a couple cases in this where it didn't feel like the emotional stories or even the character relationships from the book were preserved at all, like the Jason versus Luke philosophical argument and the Kip versus Luke philosophical argument are entirely absent, but there is this part of Leia trying to help Anakin deal with 
the fact that Han is retreating out of grief. And I just thought it was a nice, quiet moment that felt more like it was a repetition of the things that had happened in the book, but it also felt like a good addition. That makes sense. Rocky, do you have anything you want to add about that? or felt like Han's appearance and like just the shadow of his presence there kind of ties in well to what was happening in the books at that time. Yeah, just, that makes sense. Yeah. It felt like it made this comic arc fit almost better. And also helped kind of place it within the chronology of the books a little bit. Yeah. See, meanwhile, I almost like I liked the moment, but also it sort of felt like the contractually obligated Han Solo appearance. Yes. Mm. Absolutely. But I think it also worked. Yeah. So throughout this comic, I kept saying, muttering the tired refrain, Jaina deserved better. Because I think they're, I think she does. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, I love how people had to keep reminding Finn, hey, Jaina is the best pilot out of all of us. Deal with it. Yeah, I like that Jason kept being the one to say it, too. I mm-hmm. appreciated that. Um, also, when I was reading it, I kind of muttered to myself, Finn, I'm sorry, but you are not a dark-haired, green-eyed man. You are not allowed to be in Jaina Solo's orbit. <laughs> yeah, I love how... The moment where he meets Jason and Jaina, and then Jason has to clarify, no, that's my sister. Yes. <laughs> you wonder these... how many times that's happened to them. It Jason acts like it's a pretty normal occurrence. <laughs> Which is weird, because they look though. alike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. There are a couple moments in this where, like, people make sidelong references to, like, don't try to date Jaina. Like, either she or Han will knock you out, basically, that that I found very tired and very old-fashioned. And then there were a couple moments where also there's this implication that, like, and this happens with both Kay and Jaina, if I recall, where someone's, like, implies that it's more embarrassing for them because they were beaten by a girl. And I was just kind of, like... This is tiring. Jaina says it, I think, actually. (laughs) To Finn, I think. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that that rubbed me the wrong way, too, now that you mention it. Um, Speaking of getting beaten up in training, can we discuss Luke Skywalker's approach to teaching? (laughs) Because I have questions. First of all, please, Luke, that's not how... Luke, no. Are you talking about the thing with the rock? Well, not even the rock. I'm just like, he goes to Luke's Jedi Academy for like 10 minutes. And then (laughs) while he's emotionally volatile, because at least two members of his family are captured, the third one might be dead or captured. We're really not sure. And like, he's lost his planet. Luke sends him to go fight the Yuuzhan Vong. And it's like, no, don't you vengeance. And I'm like, Luke. What are you doing? Yeah, like, like Luke put him an, in this situation. Like, this is a bad plan, even by the standards of bad plans, okay? <laughs> this is... Uh, I have a similar gripe in a different fandom, which I do not need to go into right now, but I like how you said earlier that this is Luke's... Like, Luke has Obi-Wan moments in this comic, because I think he does, and I think his role in a couple parts was to be the kind of authority figure that Finn may or may not rebel against. And meanwhile, the the script also acts like Luke's hands are completely tied and like Luke cannot stop any of this from happening. And he just like stands there while Finn decides whether or not to kill a man. 
And it made Luke very much like, I don't, I think straw man is too strong a term, but it made him a kind of moral arbiter in a very mechanical way that I don't think worked. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like ahead. they were trying to cram in a lot about like Luke's teaching style and what Jedi are supposed to be doing at this point in the war and everything else. Felt like they were trying to cram in a ton, but not really, not really like giving a lot of detail. Yeah, it's like give us a training montage in here, and I'll believe it. But as it's being told right now, there are a lot of very bad plans going on. I did kind of like the part with the rock. Also, where Finn lifts one rock, and then... And it's so weird to be saying Finn in Legends, but I'll right. get over it. <laughs> um, Finn is training to be a Jedi, yes. And he lifts one rock and is, you know, quite pleased that he's done telekinesis correctly. And then Luke lifts up this giant boulder like the size of an X-Wing and plops it down on the other rock and goes, no, lifts it again. <laughs> I was like, that, okay. that's pretty funny. Also, shout out to the brief, like, four-panel appearance of Mara Jade. Yeah! I wasn't expecting also, that. Also, why is she not wearing Jedi robes at any given time? Mara does not seem like the sort of woman to go with fancy dresses on a daily basis. At especially least not at the Jedi Academy. Cute. Who knows? True. Yeah. I just don't ask why Marjade wears some of the things she has been made to wear in no, canon. That path is a path of darkness. We shall not walk down it. No. No, no I'm not. I, I am not actually still 16 spending all my time arguing on the internet about Star Wars, so no. no. <laughs> that, that is a lie, Rocky. Okay, fine. I almost spent a lot of time arguing about Star Wars on the internet. Okay, the part that's a lie is that I'm... is. Yeah, I'm not actually 16. I'm not strong enough to argue about Mara Jade again. Not again. I just look at that black. Everyone, sometimes people ask me, oh, why don't you make Mara Jade for five of first approval? And I go, because I don't want to make the crotch diamond. That's why. And (laughs) (laughs) It really is. On that black (sighs) suit. Yeah. Anyways, I'm sorry. That's a dark path. Um. (laughs) We've gone the- down the dark path. <laughs> let's go to let's go to the second arc. Yeah. Can, okay. So, I do we did we actually get an explanation for why Finn can sense the Yuuzhan Vong? No. Okay. I was thinking toward the end of the third issue. Does this mean that Finn and Kay? So Nina's a Yuuzhan Vong. Does this mean that Finn and Kay are half Yuuzhan Vong? No. And that. No. Why? She adopted them. Yeah, there's that whole story about how she was a slave and how he already had, like, two tiny children before he met her. I may have totally missed this. This may have been one of the cases where uh, comicsology like, put me at the back of the book and I somehow missed this. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, go on. <laughs> where Caleb, the, the dad, is, like, telling about how he met Nina. And it was, like, she was a slave girl and he freed her and then they fell in love and he was like yeah bt dubs i'm a package deal with two like tiny children and i thought it was weird when i was reading it i'm like this is a very you're going out of your way to talk about this why are you doing this and then in the third one when they had the use and reveal i was like oh that's why 
So yeah. does it is does he know that she's a Yusanbong and or what that is? I don't think so. I got the impression that he kind like he knew that she wasn't actually human but probably didn't understand what she really was and she also probably told him a very sanitized version. Wait, so if the kids aren't half Yusun Vong, then what explains Kay's like super strength in issue three in, in arc three? I have a theory. Is it bunnies? Totally. It, could be bunnies. <laughs> it might be bunnies. <laughs> yeah, my my personal theory was we've seen like the slave seeds, the coral implants. We've seen all sorts of Yuzanbong technology that can kind of implant into a human and kind of meld with them. And my personal theory is that she had something that she probably modified to be more helpful than anything else. And it came with the side effects of super strength and bong sense. Mm, that makes sense because yeah. Finn had that thing that was maybe Finn has growing in him. Sense. Yeah, it's like Finn can sense there's something there. Plus, like the two of them have bong sense. Like it's Finn shows it off of quite a few times, and Kay to a lesser extent, but she's also gotten the super strength. Like mm-hmm. I just kind of assumed that was the case, and by the end of it, when I realized that part three was the last part, I realized, oh, this would have probably been further explained in a part four. Huh. I like that. That. I like that explanation. Yeah, that that follows from everything we've seen so far. Yeah. Have we actually, we haven't really talked about Kay much, except to say that she's awesome. Yes. Let's talk about Kay, because she's awesome, okay? Well, yes. I mean, yes. We're, we've established that Kay is, in fact, awesome, and I would have happily read an entire book or just a comic focused on her and all of her, I'm gonna fight back against the Yu Vong and, like, deal with them and free the dangerous giant man, and then he'll be oddly loyal to me, and I'm like, girl, get it. I, I appreciate you being, <laughs> taking charge of things. Yeah, there were a couple moments with her where I thought things were gonna go a different way. Like, I was... I, I was wondering whether, like, her friendship with the guy that she freed was going to become more central. And it kind of didn't, which is fine. Um, but I like that she, there's a couple moments where she's clearly choosing whether to take command or to delegate, which is something that you can think she would have learned as, like, a princess. And and I liked that, well, there's the bit, the confrontation she has with the Republic officer in uh, arc two, right? Where she... Does she leave him to die? Or is there a moment where you think she's going to kill him? I've I've read it like three days ago and it's already leaving my brain a little bit. Sorry. It's something along those lines. Don't she ask makes... me what. <laughs> <laughs> At least yeah, it's not just uh, me. I'm not much help here either. <laughs> but she makes these very, you know, political decisions. Um, and I like that about her. Also, She's like, clearly been paying a lot of attention to how to be a queen. And how to be a leader, not necessarily yeah. a queen, just like how to lead. And I was like, yeah, sorry, I stepped on you. Go ahead. Yeah. And she's, I love, I absolutely love how she's probably dressed like just another normal teenager. And if people don't recognize her on site, they probably assume she is just another normal teenager. And I like how she doesn't pretend to 
Like, she doesn't put on air. She doesn't act like, well, I'm the princess, so duh, this is my job. It's just, well, it has to happen, and I'm going to do it, and you're coming with me, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I got the I, sense that I, they weren't exactly raised as the kind of royalty that we think of as being yes. royalty. I, they they felt so very normal to me. I liked that a lot. Like, I almost, I desperately wanted Kay to get to meet up with Jaina, and I feel like they would be good friends. They like, definitely would. <laughs> yes, yes. I really wanted that to happen at some point. It's interesting that what well, Kay, like, held her cool during their capture the where Nina was the one who took command of the ship, which we now know why, and there was that really disgusting bit of the ship like puncturing the side of her cheek. And Kay felt sort of ambivalent toward the biotechnology the whole time, which I think is also a sign of how composed she is. She didn't jump into it the way Nina did, but she's just sort of like, okay, we're in this gross ship now, we're gonna handle this. I don't think, I think she does have a horror of the Yusan Vong and of the biotechnology, and I really, that's part of why I, I wish that the things, the stuff with her had been a little more, there'd been more follow-up and a little more focus on how she felt in Arc 3. Yeah, but she understood that she had to put aside all of her feelings to get herself out of that ship, to free all of the prisoners. She's such an awesome character, and I, I really do wish that had this happened, like, published at the same time as the New Jedi Order, I could totally have seen her ending up in the books. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, sorry, I got distracted halfway through that. <laughs> no, I... Your thoughts on her? Just that I, nothing new that I haven't said. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I thought her story was much more interesting than every time we went back to Finn, it felt like it dragged. Mm -hmm. Because she was really the star of her story, whereas Finn's was being pushed back and forth by the other things we know happened. He felt so generic. Yeah, and not in a good way. Is generic ever good? Except for when you're buying the cheaper form of a drug? (laughs) This is true. Because with <laughs> him, you know, like, you know how the solar kids, solo kids are going to end up. You know how Borsk Velaya is going to end up. We don't know how the heart of Rotorius is going to end up. And I think that's part of what made it more interesting. Yeah. It felt like he got dropped into the middle of the main story. But we, we all know how that main story is going to go. So really, how much is this guy going to actually do? Can we just, like, send him back to the Jedi Academy to figure out how to actually be a Jedi or whatever. And then she, well, she has her own main story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. He felt he felt like the Mary Sue. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I don't was. mean this in, like, a very bad way, but it's, like, every other, all those fanfics where it's, like, here's the self-insert, mm-hmm. and here's me going on my adventures with the solo kids and Lobaka. And, and I, yeah. I wonder... Yes. I think speculation like this is always doomed for the answer to be, we don't know. But I wonder how much of it was actually the opposite way where Tom Taylor was like, I want to write a story about this Galfridian family. And the editor or whoever was said, we need some more recognizable characters in here. So like make him meet Han Solo. 
I have a feeling it's a little bit of both. That's mm-hmm. just my guess. Yeah. Um, because everyone, I feel like with Star Wars, everyone wants to play with those big names and with those recognizable characters, but you also want to do your own thing. Mm, and this is the perfect example of, of a storyteller kind of getting the opportunity to do both. Yeah, I think so. I you, you said Finn was a Mary Sue, and I definitely felt that too. I also, he just looked like an anime protagonist to me because he's got the bright blonde hair and he's got goggles like a Digimon protagonist and like he's the got bright the Naruto clothing. Hair. Yeah, <laughs> he's such an anime kid. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, okay, so my only thoughts on Prowl the Droid are that I've been very slowly playing Jedi Fallen Order at a friend's house, so whenever uh, I saw Prowl, I just thought of, um, BD, and except that Prowl talks, and BD does not, so I kept having a moment of, like, wait, he talks, right? (laughs) Yeah, I still want a Prowl. Oh, yeah. He didn't really have much personality. I don't. I think he could have not talked and pretty much would have been the same. But he did. He felt like halfway between BD and Dio. Yes. Uh, the, the, the imposter Dio from T-Ross, not the one true Dio who I love dearly with all of my heart from Battlefront 2. <laughs> Sorry, I have to do disclaimers. <laughs> <laughs> not a fan of Dio from Tross either. Anyway, book um, three. Yeah, I just really love that is Boris Kamala worth saving? Yeah, <laughs> really, it was such a mood of yes. all. This. And this... he's going on about how he's so loved. And yeah, oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> but it's like because he knows people hate him. So there's that line. This of all the things this comic gave us, it did give us some really quality Borsk content. Because yes. there's those lines, and then there's when he's talking to the Imperial, and the Imperial is saying these like horrible, hateful things. And meanwhile, Borsk is like, "Yes, that will be useful for my political career." And you can just like see the wheels turning behind his furry face. <laughs> I, I love how he is in true top form of being a terrible, terrible person. Yes. <laughs> they truly captured. And there is a little bit of emphasis here on how the New Republic can't help the outer systems, which I think was an interesting point that was totally buried in like issue five of six and maybe would have been a bigger deal in a future arc if there were going to be some about how there are all these people... There were a couple of really forgettable New Republic officer characters, and then there was Borisk, and then there were a couple people in the Outer Rim who were like, you've been sitting on Coruscant having meetings, and we're being attacked this whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, what good are you doing? Like, you should just leave us alone if this is all you're going to do, which is interesting. It just was very rushed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering now if you're if you're right about the uh, the Outer Rim Alliance being a something that was planned for later. And I'm also curious to know where that might have gone and how far they could have gone, given the constraints of the NJO. I feel like they might have, if in some theoretical fantasy world where this became a a longer series and then also hooked into the book somehow, they might have gotten connected with Lando's people at one point. Oh, and the Smuggler's Alliance and everything? Yes. Yeah. Hmm. It's not that everyone in the outer rim is a smuggler. I don't mean to like 
No, I mean, only only like two thirds of them are. But (laughs) can you imagine if Kay got her hands on uh, like a dozen of the the Yuzan Bong Hunter droids? She would have so much fun with that. (laughs) That would be amazing. Someone write us that fanfic, please. I mean, I feel like she's basically a, a Yusan Bong hunter droid herself. Like, by the end of this, she's tearing people's heads off. There were some really remarkably disgusting bits of her just destroying people. Yeah. Remind me, was it insinuated that she has the Force, too, or is that just a convenience thing for Finn? I did not think that was no. insinuated for Kay. Okay. She was just really strong. Like, there's a bit where she basically punches through stormtrooper armor and breaks a guy's arm and th- she yeah. looks at it for a second he looks at her for a second like what just happened but it's not i didn't think the implication was force sensitivity i thought the implication was like she's just super built <laughs> yeah i felt like there was some implication of it but that's also my kind of headcanon that the force runs in families well enough that if one sibling is force sensitive there's a very good chance that the other siblings are even if it is to different extents yeah yeah though i did very much love nina absolutely wrecking a room full of imperials because she is yujambong it was beautiful that was cool and then she and Kay afterwards when the rest of the Imperials finally get in there, they're like, wait, what happened? Uh, it was destroyed by a Yushanbong in disguise. 100% true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was one of those great moments where you've been seeing the enemy's firepower this whole time, and then suddenly the enemy firepower is on your side, or vice versa. And yes. I loved that. Yes. Pelion eventually finds out, and it's just like, oh, come on, guys. Really? <laughs> Do you think Pelion knew what was going on with these guys, or were they working to get their own ambition, or to you know, according to their own ambition? I think it's the. I think it's that one. Mm-hmm. I think Pelion just assumes that like half the Empire is a little bit too wrapped up in their own ambitions. <laughs> we're not. Those are the warlords. We don't talk to them. <laughs> yes, we lock them up in their own nice little quiet spaces and let them fight out all of their problems and step in whenever their trouble starts spilling out. they can't sit with us (laughs) so with regards to Finn I think you make an interesting point which I was wondering about during this which is if he's force sensitive why did no one notice this before like this never manifested before I guess it just took until now to do and that's not like it's pretty common that like basically force abilities manifest when they're convenient like Luke didn't know he had his until he was 19 so it's not so much a, a problem I just well, especially since it seemed like Luke knew them. I was like, I why? Was like, yeah. Why did you not? <laughs> he knew the um, Galfordians. Yeah. I, yeah. It kind of made sense to me that Luke might know them by reputation because uh, his sister is Leia. And she probably does have a decent running who's who in terms of important people in galactic politics, even like the kings and queens of individual planets. Well, there's a good chance she's run into them in the, the line rebellion. of work, but... He said... Caleb said he was in the Rebellion. Ah, <laughs> uh, that too. That too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's Star Wars, man. <laughs> it also... But this is also like an era of the Jedi are not just going to swoop in and take potentially Force-sensitive children. Well, not until after the Darkness trilogy, probably. This is true. I don't think but, they actually did that after the Darkness trilogy, but I'm just getting it a cheap shot. 
<laughs> Can you really resist them? No. No. After not after I saw someone comparing calling Swarm War a very good book today. <laughs> Oh, so um, can we? Can I shout out Captain Copri, the Twi'lek, who runs the Coruscant Senate yes. Guards, apparently? She was really cool, and she was just, like, along for the ride. I kept waiting for her to die, and she didn't, and I kept waiting for her to become important, and she didn't, And but she was just chilling in the background with her, like, very cool outfit, and I enjoyed that. Yes, and she seemed very accustomed to the sorts of shenanigans that can happen. Like, yes. her attitude towards, oh, we've got an assassin headed for failure. Must be Tuesday. Yeah, like, that's, <laughs> that's just normal. Oh, so, any thoughts about Dre, who I described as, in my notes, as Sith? Question mark? Or at least has a red lightsaber and the will to kill? <laughs> I did not. I. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. This was another case of really mechanical. Like, we need someone to tempt Finn to the dark side. Here's this person. When, like, did we really need that? Did we? Yeah, it felt very contrived. And yeah. it just. Dre was kind of insinuating that. He may have gotten kicked out of the Jedi Academy. He may have decided to quit before getting expelled, but... Eh. Yeah. I mean, I agree. That was a big eh. Also, doesn't... Does every Jedi have to be tempted by the dark side? <laughs> like, there's enough going on. <laughs> uh, For the sake of drama, yes, yes, they all do. I mean, <laughs> there's a war going on. I feel like Finn had enough drama. Like, it was gonna be fine. <laughs> eh. <laughs> I, I didn't get... I don't know. I think by that point when I was reading, I was just like, I am bored by the blonde white boy. May <laughs> we go back to K? <laughs> Will someone just stab Fela? <laughs> I definitely, yes. toward the beginning of book three, I, like, went out and took a walk instead for a while because I was just so disinterested in the Finn-Luke dynamic which now that I say it is like, give me more of that in the sequel trilogy. <laughs> but also in this particular story timeline, it was just so dull. I wasn't at all invested in, and I'm very, I very easily get invested in any Jedi student character. Like I took like one look at the ones in the beginning of like the rise of Kylo Ren and was like, these are all my children now. But I did not care at all about Finn's relationship to Luke, which is kind of what they did in this. Like, again, this very... We have to have him tempted by the dark side because that's a dramatic uh, way in the beginning of the third arc. It felt like they're... Like, again, it was the same problem of they're stuffing in tons and tons of plot in a very short time span, and they're not really getting the chance to really do justice to the idea. Yeah. Yeah. In completely and utterly unrelated news, how did you guys feel about the appearance of Tzvangla? Yes, that was excellent timing. He's, he's good. He's on model. He looks like he does on the book covers. He's the worst. I'm ready <laughs> to root for him to be the worst. I almost wanted yes. more of him. Yes, yes. Also, I think it's a it's actually a really good like establishing character moment. I almost I so wish that this had been written during the New Jedi Order time rather than like years after. But it's like, oh, 
you have screwed up a few times and you're having a relationship with a shaper. Uh, how long is it going to be before Savongla drops in and tells you to get your life together? <laughs> oh, so... Okay, I do want to talk about the Yusan Vang romance, or at least acknowledge yes. that it's in this. So if that's a thing you yes. want to see, for whatever reason, it's in this comic. Um, yes. But also, Salok is the commander that's the villain for a lot of this. There's the part in the arc, second arc, where he leaves, and everyone, both his own crew and the New Republic forces, are like, why is he retreating? Yusan Vong never retreat. And turns out he's doing it to cover for this super weapon, or whatever, we're never actually sure what that weapon is. Is it the Coom Spores? Maybe? Um, that, the, at that point, I too was like, wait, why is he retreating? Like, this isn't, like, they don't act like this. He's gonna, like, get, this is very unwarrior-like of him. So when Savong Law actually showed up and was like, you're on thin ice, I was gratified for my earlier yes. misgivings. Yes. <sighs> Mm-hmm. Try to think. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we go down to our one and only listener question, which I feel like a lot of us will have the same answer? <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing I have in my notes that we didn't talk about were like, I, there were a couple times where I quoted dialogue, most of which in the last arc. But um, when they reveal that the Imperial ambassador is in a Nuglith masker, somebody says he's trying to hide evil by wrapping it in evil, which I did. <laughs> I just, I liked. Because the Imperial's dialogue had been, like, so vicious that it had been very memorable. And and that's exactly what it was. Evil wrapped in evil. An evil sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> For some that's pretty reason. good. Okay, I'm now thinking of what is it? Gordon Ramsay, the meme of him an holding idiot up- sandwich. Yes. <laughs> what are you? You're an evil sandwich. <laughs> okay, I have an excellent mental image of Savong Law doing that now to someone. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Wait, can you do it to Nominor? Please. Yes. <laughs> okay, this is an art request. Oh, man. (sighs) All right, listener question? I think we're ready. All right, Odie asked us, who, if anyone, would you like to come back, either later in the NJO or further down the line? Should we just count to three and I'll say our answer? Yeah. One, two, three, K. Nina. And Nina. Yeah, the ladies. I want to see more about well Nina and Kay, just like the two of them. And yeah. also, I think they should talk to Scoot from Mercy Kill. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> oh, that'd be beautiful. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. That was an easy one, guys. All right, yes. done. Cool. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts on the comics before we wrap it up? I don't think so. They were, unfortunately, we're ending on a whimper, not a bang. <laughs> I mean, we talked about this book more than I thought we were going to. Yeah. So, yeah. Actually, yeah. Get good coherent content before the idiot sandwich. <laughs> yep. Well, that's really just on brand for us. Let's be real. An evil idiot sandwich. <laughs> that's, that's very us. All right, then. Uh, So, yeah, so this is not the last episode, but it's almost the last episode. Next month, we're going to be recording the final countdown. Um, So we're just going to be talking about 
everything, I guess, that has to do with the new, new Jedi Order. Um, I guess our thoughts, feelings, and reflections upon the Vonkast. I don't know. <laughs> That's exactly what it will be. Yes. Uh, so please send in your questions to us. We would love to answer any and all of them. Um, it and maybe, like, a- I guess, behind-the-scenes questions, too, if you have any um, of those. Yeah. Yes, yes. The creation of this entertaining adventure and... I don't know, whatever else surprise us. Yeah, and if you're if you're listening to this and you're wondering when to get the questions into us, uh, I'm going to guess we haven't decided yet. We'll probably be recording the first week in February, so anytime before that. Cool. Um, yeah, so send us your questions, guys. Uh, it's going to be kind of weird doing the last episode of this show next month, but we're going to power through it somehow. So I have my way that I've marked the ending of the Vaughn cast is that I have started for the first time in a long time a Star Wars book that I am neither being paid to write about nor talking about on a podcast. I'm just doing it for fun. So that's nice. What book? Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void. I love that. It's a good one. Uh, So far, I'm, I'm like two chapters in on a reread, but it's really cool so far. I like that for the same reason I like Shatterpoint. It's the Which weird Jedi is, stuff. Yes, yes. Oh, now I want to go reread that. I actually that is that is the one book where I have a review quote on the back of the paperback. Cool. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah. There's uh I think the new Jedi Order connection to that one is that because she's it's early enough in the timeline that like the Jedi aren't split into light and dark yet. They're just Jedi with with an apostrophe and they, uh, she, the main character, is sort of an alchemist, right? And she's got this, like, lump... I remember this from my first read-through, so I hope this is accurate, because I'm looking forward to it. She has this, like, lump of flesh in her ship that she's experimenting on, trying to figure out how life, like, how the Force is connected to life, and is basically, like... How close to being alive do I need to get this thing before it can interact with the Force and, like, where it goes from being meat to being life? And I'm looking forward to reading more of that, and I feel like that's relevant to a, to a New Jedi Order audience. You have a much better memory of the book than I do. <laughs> I remember she had a, a cool outfit, I think. Yeah, yeah. that's that's true. Yeah. The outfit on the book cover is very cool and does not 100% match the description. But there's, yeah, there's some very, very good descriptions of clothes. It takes place like 30,000 years before anything else, including Knights of the Old Republic. So it's a totally different era. Yeah. Um, while you're already talking, Megan, where can people find you on social media? People can find me on Twitter at blog full of words. If you must, I'm actively trying to use Twitter less. So we'll see. <laughs> that's uh, that's where my hub is. I write for Den of Geek and Star Wars Insider and uh, talk about video games on Twitter. Cool. Rocky, how about you? I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter. Yes, I am actually quite active. I talk about Star Wars, World of Warcraft, cars, general editorials on all sorts of random things, food, cats. I don't know. A little bit of everything. Uh, and then you can find me on Twitter at ChaosBria, where I am probably tweeting about how you should toss a coin to your Witcher right now. Um, 
you're welcome for getting that in all of your heads. I'm not sorry. Um, aside from that, I uh, write for Tashi Station, and I also sometimes write for StarWars.com. And with that, that's the end of the episode, the last discussion episode, guys. This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. If you like what you hear, you can support the network on Patreon. Join us last time, next time, for the last time, when I read words correctly on the page, when we record our final episode. Uh, there's nothing left to read, but you can tweet us by using the hashtag Vongcast. Thanks for, thanks for listening, and until next time. Idiot sandwich. Idiot sandwich what? An idiot sandwich.